0: Hey guys, welcome back to Reformation South. This is Caleb. It's good to be back. Um, I'll just jump right in. About a month ago, I made a Facebook post that ended, well, it was a short Facebook post, so it's not just that it ended, the entire post was basically uh, saying that the longer I go, the more it seems to become obvious that the vast majority of false doctrine and bad or poor, unbiblical church practice can be linked back to a rejection of God's sovereignty. And I ended ended that post with saying, you know, more to come on this, hopefully in the form of a podcast. And so here we are. It only took... um, A month only took a little over four weeks after that Facebook post to finally um, get to it. And as for the podcast itself, uh, it has been a few months since we've uploaded anything other than sermons. A lot has been uh, happening in our uh, personal lives, and the life of our family, a lot of exciting things. We've moved uh, into our first home uh, of course, we uh, it's not as though we were homeless previously, uh, but we lived in a parsonage and then had some other arrangements. So this is our first, uh, first time being homeowners, and we are now in Glenville, Georgia, uh, which is where I grew up, and I am pastoring Mindy's Baptist Church, which is also here uh, in Glenville. So a lot of exciting things. Um, going on there and i do want to talk more about that uh, in the future but for this installment of reformation south i want to um, at least uh, make a a decent attempt uh, to stay somewhat connected to this topic of uh, false doctrine and poor church practice being connected to God's, a rejection of, excuse me, a rejection of God's sovereignty. Um, If if it seems as though I'm speaking a little bit differently uh, than I normally do, uh, which it may or may not, I don't know how this is going to turn out on the actual recording, uh, but it is mm, about 1030 at night, the family is asleep, I'm here in my office, and so I'm trying not to get too... Um, loud or rambunctious as I speak, but this is something that definitely wanted to go ahead and, and get out there and we have to start somewhere. And that is going to be the title of this installment of Reformation South. We have to start somewhere. So there's so much that could be said when it comes to, um, the modern American church specifically in the rejection of uh, the inerrancy of scripture, the supremacy of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture. Um, There's much that could be said about uh, individual doctrines that have been rejected or pushed aside or um, just flat out marked as heresy. And so we're talking about sound doctrine, true doctrine that is marked as unbiblical doctrine, so a complete reversal and perversion of truth uh, in the world today and in what calls itself the church in America. But if we were to go back to the roots and the the purpose of why Reformation South is here, uh, of course, it has a lot to do with um, personal upbringing uh, I grew up here in the Bible Belt in Glenville, Georgia. Spent some time in Florida as well. Um, so uh, the, the goal, the aim behind this podcast is really to hit head on things, issues, concerns um, that are going on here in this area and to expose and to bring to light uh, bad, poor, unbiblical uh, church practice uh, and many things that are accepted as orthodoxy or accepted as a Christian doctrine and practice that simply are, are not so. And with that being said, that brings us back to this Facebook post That I made that specifically said, you know, a a lot of things that are wrong in the church today can be directly connected to a rejection of God's sovereignty. So what does it mean to be sovereign? To have full reign, full control, full freedom to exercise your power and your will uh, to accomplish that which you have set out to. Accomplished. So when we say when we say that God is sovereign, we are saying that He is free to exercise His authority and His power over all of creation, because He is the Creator of all things. Therefore, His sovereignty extends over every facet of creation, um, and He is free to exercise His power, which is uh, a a matchless, endless. Uh, eternal divine power, um, that we know nothing of as, as his creation, as man. Um, he is free to use that power and that authority, uh, to accomplish his, his will. And we as believers know that that which God has set out to accomplish will be accomplished. And that which he has ordained is good, and it is perfect, and it is pleasing, and um, ought to be pleasing to us. But of course, it is uh, pleasing to God because he does, uh, he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and he does things according to the good pleasure of his will. And um, so, that's what that's in a nutshell. That is a very simplistic idea of. Of God's sovereignty, and so you may be asking yourself, well, how, how is Caleb thinking that we, as believers today, that we reject this idea of God's sovereignty? It doesn't. Uh, I don't feel like we reject God's sovereignty. I feel like everybody that calls themselves a Christian would probably, at least, give lip service to the fact that oh yeah, God's sovereign. He can, he can do whatever he wants. He can do as he pleases. Um, I don't think that anybody would have an issue with this word sovereignty. And so I want to bring up just a couple of things uh, specifically, but they're really all going to be um, all of these false doctrines, all of the all of the unbiblical church practices. Really, can be directly associated to a rejection of God's sovereignty as it pertains to salvation. Uh, so, God's sovereignty in relation to the salvation of sinners Um, and that shows itself most prevalently in many of our church practices that are connected to um, what we would call leading people to the Lord Uh, how how we would refer to um, leading someone to salvation and I'm going to do my best to show that in a lot of ways, um, all of these methodologies and all of these approaches that are so very popular, not only are they unbiblical, but they actually expose um, that we don't like the idea of God's sovereignty and we don't appreciate it and we don't embrace it. Therefore, we certainly don't honor God for His sovereignty. Uh, We do not give Him the glory which He alone is worthy of in the salvation of man. So um, one other thing, if God is sovereign, then he has the authority as well to to implement and to structure his creation in the way that he sees fit. Uh, If he is sovereign, then he has all of the authority and we ought to acknowledge that he alone has that authority to define things to structure things to give guidelines to give qualifications prerequisites uh, whatever words you want to uh, throw out there for all of his creation but especially for his people for the way that his people worship um for the roles Uh, That we have within the church, uh, how we are supposed to go about um, our church practice, our uh, our liturgy, our our orthopraxy. um, If you like bigger words, you know um, we're not gonna we're not gonna dive deep into you know big theological terms. And and in this installment, this episode, uh, I'm not even really going to try to do deep deep dives into all the scripture. That is referenced. Um, There will be an episode on that. Again, we're not, this is not going to be a one-and-done. This is, you know, we've got to start somewhere. So really, this is going to be a lot of um, just scratching the surface on a few different things, Uh, but we are going to go a little bit deeper into this specific topic of man, well, not just man, um, modern-day Christians that, rebel against this idea of god's sovereignty in salvation so what does that look like um we have a lot of practices within the church today uh, such as uh, the sinner's prayer ask jesus into your heart make jesus lord of your life uh give your life to jesus um so on and so forth you know raise your hand if you want to be saved walk down to the front of the church if you want to be saved repeat this prayer after me whatever you know Um, and then we'll say things like well if you prayed that and you really meant it or um, if you were sincere uh, or if you really 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 meant business with the Lord tonight then you're saved and we tell people stuff like this and uh, now, to, to take it a step back from that, um, because if you grew up in church and you heard me just mention all of that, you're probably thinking, oh, he's, you know, altar calls. He's he's referencing altar calls. Uh, so even before we get to altar calls, the way that we structure, the way that we structure the entire church service. Uh, we live in a world today where, by and large, um, the vast majority of church services are geared towards the non-believer. Scripture teaches that the saints are to come together for the edification of the saints for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry that when the believers come together it's for the believers it's um it's a time of fellowship and worship now it is chiefly about God we are to exalt God and, and in our worship and to lift his name on high and to praise him and to acknowledge that he alone is God and to Give him the glory and honor, but it is a time of worship, and uh, we are to pray together and sing together, and we are to study the word together. And it, it it's for believers, Ephesians four, and then I, in first in first Corinthians, I believe thirteen. You know, Paul even uses a phrase. He says, "If if if someone outside um, or outside of the faith, a non-believer, paraphrasing a non-believer, if they were to wander into the assembly, um, and that." That paints a pretty clear picture of, you know, outsiders may sometimes wander in to a church service or to a gathering of believers, but that's not the norm. That's not the aim. The aim and the goal is for believers to come together for the edification and the equipping of the saints. Um, but we live in a day and age where, by and large, the church service is geared towards the non believer that we want, we want the church service to be attractive um, and to be appealing to someone who does not have a heart that loves God, uh, to someone who doesn't have a mind that desires the things of God. And so, you know, just with that one simple thought, you say, well, if we if we want to be attractive to those people that do not love God and do not desire God, then we probably don't want to put God who he truly is and put his word up at the forefront. We're probably at the very least, we're going to have to uh, tweak it a little bit. And yeah, we'll mention God, we'll reference Jesus, but we'll only mention the good stuff, you know, like God is love and he is capable of healing your relationships. He is capable of blessing you. He is capable of, you know, restoring whatever, Um, hardships, uh, redeeming whatever hardships and troubles that you've had in your life. We'll really promote that aspect of God, but we'll leave the stuff like hey, you're a sinner, you need to repent, and you must be born again. All of that stuff, that's just really going to make people feel uncomfortable, so we're going to leave that stuff in the background. And that's what we have in, in many churches today, and that leads to pastors that will preach salvation sermons week in and week out you can go to one you can go to the same church for five ten fifteen years and the vast majority of sermons that are preached from those pulpits are salvation sermons they're they're going to end with an altar call that includes you know if if you're not saved today's the day um you've heard the gospel which is good yeah all roads lead to the cross um and every sermon should be able to make a direct connection to the gospel and 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 the preaching of the cross and and Christ crucified, um, but not in the sense that the people who are coming to church week in and week out are really just hearing a gospel, a simple gospel presentation with every single sermon uh, that they get. And so what that leads to is the people who are already saved that are going to church, they're not growing, they're not maturing, they're hearing the same thing over and over and over again. And so then in order to keep church, keep the church engaged and excited, you tell these people, oh, well, if you, you know, don't come to church alone. If you really want to be a part of the church, if you really want to be active, then you need to be inviting your co-workers, inviting your friends that are lost and unsaved. Because once we get them to church, then hopefully we can get them saved and then they'll start coming to church here too. And so it's all structured around we need to get the lost people to the church service so that the preacher can preach a message that will hopefully get that person to the altar where they will say that prayer or ask Jesus into their heart and now they're saved. And so all of that to say that that entire system, that entire structure that we use is unbiblical, and it shows that we reject the sovereignty of God in salvation insofar as it reveals that we have taken salvation into our own hands. Now, again, with that being said, I don't think anybody would be brazen enough to say yeah that's what we're doing we are trying to save the people we are we're trying to work a system that produces results and gets people to say that they've been saved however we must be mature enough and we must be sober-minded enough to take a step back and to analyze these practices first and foremost I think this might be the third time I've said this just just in this recording so far. It's unbiblical. You do not see the sinner's prayer anywhere in Scripture. You do not see um, asking Jesus into your heart anywhere in Scripture. You don't see um, giving your life to Jesus anywhere in Scripture. Um, You don't see where we make Jesus Lord of our lives anywhere in Scripture. Um you don't see, um, you don't, you don't even see uh, Jesus and the apostles and um, the accounts that we have of of what we would relate to as as church services, where um, the one who has preached a sermon is just begging people, come forward, be saved today, come forward, come forward, come forward, uh, come forward, we're going to play one more verse of Just As I Am, come forward, come forward, you don't see it. It's not there. Uh, in fact, what we do see in Scripture is literally the opposite. There's different accounts in Scripture where uh, a message is preached, the truth is proclaimed, and it's actually the people from the crowd that cry out, what must we do to be saved? Um, Philip in the Ethiopian unit, you know, he's sitting there studying and. Philip comes along and says you know do you understand do you comprehend this and he's like well how how can I unless somebody shows me and, and helps me understand and but the the work or a work had already been done in the heart that that produced this desire of I want to be taught I want to be saved what do I you know what do I need to do um, what's my what what's my right response to this, message of the truth this message and the good news of jesus christ Um, another thing we see in scripture is that people who are truly converted don't have to be coaxed into acting like a christian but there again that's a that's a different topic that we could talk extensively about but back to this issue of of salvation we don't see any of these things in scripture and again We see the opposite. So we see people crying out, what must I do to be saved? Um, The whole asking Jesus into your heart, that's crazy. Um, The Bible literally says that he gives us a new heart. It's not about asking him into your heart. We have a heart of stone. We need him to give us a heart of flesh. Give your life to Jesus. We don't have a life to give. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Um, Scripture's plain. Uh, For the heart of stone, you can look at Ezekiel. For being dead in your trespasses and sin, you look at Ephesians chapter two, um, and um, what was the other one? Make him Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord, uh, period. Uh, saying that you need to make Jesus Lord of your life is like somebody walking up to me and um, and saying, "Hey, I'm going to make you Caleb Folsom in my life." It's like, well, I'm already Caleb. It doesn't it doesn't matter if you don't acknowledge that, or if you don't accept that as the truth, the truth is, I'm Caleb Folsom, whether you accept that or not. Jesus is Lord. He doesn't need people to to make him Lord in their life. We have this hyper-individualized approach to the gospel and to salvation, which again, that in and of itself is unbiblical. Yes, salvation includes Uh, individuals. Individual souls are saved, but we are part of the body of Christ. Jesus is not just my personal Savior. He is the Savior of all who believe, and we all have uh, the same exact uh, relationship spiritually speaking, uh, theologically speaking. We all have the same relationship with Him. We have been uh, bought Um, by his blood. We have been purchased. Uh, We have been redeemed. We are saved. We have eternal life. Um, We are being sanctified and we will be uh, glorified. Um, So when we get into this realm of, well, you need to make him your personal Lord and Savior, or you need to have, uh, you know, you need, you need to have your personal walk with Christ. Um, The sentiment behind that is true. Yes, you need to make sure that You are uh, nourishing uh, your relationship with Christ. You need to make sure that you're abiding in Him um, as we are called to abide in Him. But um, He is the Savior of the world, He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the Savior, He is Lord. Um, And that needs to be acknowledged. It's not making him what he is. It's just sinners must acknowledge that, okay, he really is who he says he is. Um, So we're not making him Lord. It's it's an acknowledgement that, oh, my eyes have now been opened and my ears have been opened and I have heard the truth and I have seen the truth for what it is. Jesus is Lord. And so we come to this topic of salvation and because... Because we practice these things, it shows that we reject God's sovereignty in salvation. We try to take these matters into our own hands. So we, we come up with these methodologies and these practices in order to get people saved, in order to lead people to the cross. And that in and of itself shows that we have a fundamental misunderstanding of how the gospel works, of how God saves. Yes, God includes us in his um, in His work in his ministry um in the world he uses us to proclaim the gospel to share the gospel he uses us to shine as lights in the darkness um to be lights that shine in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation i mean all those things are true but we don't have to come up with new ways to get people saved the message is clear we we preach the gospel we share the truth we proclaim truth wherever we go uh, Jesus is Lord, uh, Christ has come to save sinners, um, that all who turn to him will find him to be uh, a good and perfect Savior, that he is the only mediator between God and man. We share these truths with those around us. We don't have to go around asking people like, you know, do you, do you really want to go to hell? Would you rather go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you believe in Jesus? Like, just share the truth. Just proclaim the gospel. And biblically speaking, that's how it works. Right out of the gate. Why is anybody saved at all? Because God saves. He has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens whom he hardens. But God saves. The scripture is clear on that. God saves sinners. Period. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden, you can start there. Adam and Eve sinned, um, and God mercifully graciously uh, covered them through uh, the sacrifice of another that was made. He took of that sacrifice and covered the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve. And right there in Genesis, we have our first little glimpse at uh, the gospel, and a foreshadowing of uh, Christ's righteousness, the covering of Christ being applied to us. so that our sin and shame would be covered and that we could stand justified before a holy God. Um, Abram, chosen by God to be the father of a great nation, later became Abraham, but Abram was chosen through the mercy and the grace of God, through the good pleasure of God's will. He, he, he chose Abraham. Um, Isaac, all who followed Jacob, you know you, you could expand that and just just to briefly, you know the whole the whole Old Testament. All of the kings, um, the prophets, um, the judges to go to go back even before the, the kings and the prophets, the judges, um, all of those people um, chosen to lead. Now those are just people chosen to lead and the prophets chosen to speak his word. but you take the entire nation of Israel, Israel did not even exist. Um, Romans chapter 4, Paul says that Abraham's faith didn't waver because he understood that um, he had faith in the one who calls into existence things that don't exist. That's God. God is able to call into existence things that don't exist. Israel did not exist. God's This concept of God's people, an entire nation, an entire people group that the holy god of all creation had claimed for his own chosen as his own elected as his own that entire concept is didn't exist up until we come to abraham now we know eternally speaking it existed before the foundation of the world but it doesn't come into our knowledge and it doesn't come into or doesn't come up in scripture until we get to abraham and god gives this promise hey there's there's going to be a great nation you're going to be my people. Um, Moses Moses was chosen to lead the people uh, out of Egypt, but it was God's good pleasure that said, I'm going to redeem my people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. So God saves. And we come to the New Testament, and Christ comes, uh, lays down his life upon the cross, buried, risen the third day. And... Um, He tells his disciples, go out into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching, teaching whatsoever things I have commanded you. And then we have the launch of the church, and it's plain, it's plainly taught in scripture, plainly supported in scripture, that the aim of the apostles, the aim of the early church was simply to proclaim the word, to proclaim the cross, to proclaim all things whatsoever, Um, Jesus commanded and so we have this for us in scripture that as the truth goes out as the word goes out uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation Uh, it's the gospel itself that will uh, bring people to new life faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God Uh, in 2 Timothy 3 um, 15 and 16 you have that Paul tells Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings from an early age, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So the it's the word. The scriptures are able to make one wise unto salvation. And so the word goes out. God saves. Um, John 6, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. John 10, uh, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I have sheep that I must bring in. or I've got sheep that aren't of this fold. I must bring them in also. Um, they will hear my voice. They will follow me. Um, the sheep hear my voice. They, they follow me. Um, it's not as if he's trying just to get as many as he can. Jesus is, is teaching that my sheep will in due time, in the right time, they will hear my voice and they will acknowledge that's my shepherd and they will follow me. It's a, it's a concrete, it's a done deal. Um, Those that have been given to him by the Father will follow him. Um, They will come to him, and they will be raised up on the last day. God saves. How does he do that? The truth goes out. The word goes out. And the sheep, those that have been called, hear that, and they will be saved. Um, So the message that we preach is, is, is whosoever will, whosoever believes, uh, all who come to Christ, uh, all who are weary and heavy laden uh, that come to Christ will find rest for their souls. And and so it is. And we know that people will come, men and women from all across the globe, from all nations will come to Christ for salvation. We know that ultimately they're coming to Christ because they were chosen before the foundation of the world. But in time, within time, within our Existence and and from what our finite minds can understand uh, on this earth, we know that people will come, they will repent of their sins, and they will place their faith in Christ because of something that took place in eternity past. But these people will freely choose to come to Christ, repent of their sins, and place their faith in Him. That is how God saves through the preaching and teaching of the word. So when we resort to these man-made methodologies and we say things like ask him into your heart, give your life to him, you know, raise your hand. That's one of the words, you know, just raise your, hey, just raise your hand if you want to be saved. If you raise your hand tonight, you're saved. It's it's tragic that we have allowed this to go on within our churches and that we still allow it. And we, we say that it's passable um, and that there's nothing wrong with it. It, It's just, it's not the gospel. It's not the truth. And that is not how God saves people. God is not up in heaven counting the hands that were raised. Um, God is in heaven uh, drawing, drawing his people to the sun. Uh, And they will be saved if we will just be faithful to preach the truth and teach the truth. We may not see the results in the time that we And the timeline that we want to see the results, we may not see them as quickly as we want. But there again, we must realize that the results are in our hands. The results can't be manufactured. The results can't be pushed by worldly wisdom and by worldly standards and worldly strategies and methodologies. Because that produces false converts. And then those false converts are in the church and they start to lead the church. And they, pro- and they promote more idolatry. They promote more man-made strategies and man-made doctrines. And then it just pro- progressively gets worse. And even with that being said, we live in a day and age where it's just unfathomable to, th- to think that somebody who's been coming to church for 20, 30, 40 years isn't really a Christian. Um, when Scripture clearly gives us guidelines on what you know what a true believer looks like how they will strive to live, how they must strive to live. And if they don't turn aside from iniquity, if they don't uh, let you know let let those who uh, name the name of the Lord, claim the name of the Lord, um, depart from iniquity. And if that's not happening, um, then then there is good reason to say, hey, you know, we've uh, we need to have a discussion about this. We need to talk about this. There needs to be some church discipline, but there again, a lot of churches don't practice. Church discipline. And even all of those things are a rejection of God's sovereignty in this way. He's sovereign. Therefore, he ordains and he orchestrates how his people are to operate. Church discipline is a real thing. God's people are to exercise church discipline. Um, God's people are to uh, respect, honor, and submit to God's structure that he has given to the church. The church is for the saints. Well, if we have salvation wrong and we're pushing man-made strategies and methodologies which result in false converts, and then we're allowing these false converts to join the church, uh, have leadership positions in the church, all because they made a public profession of faith, nothing about their life has changed they're still living the same, except they just started coming to church, and now they want to get involved, and now they want to start leading in the church. And we allow that to happen, then we are completely abandoning the authority of God's word. We're saying we see that, we know that it's there, uh, but there's really there's still nothing really wrong with what we're doing, and what we're doing is adopting worldly strategies. You know, you get your you get your most aggressive, uh, gifted uh, energetic, zealous people within your company or within your business, and you give them leadership roles. Uh, you promote them. You get them out there. You make them the face of your company. And churches are doing the same thing. We we, we take these people who come to the church, and they get involved in religion. And they're smart. Uh, they, they learn quickly. And they do begin to learn basic facts about the Bible. And they begin to learn basic facts about or basic strategies about inviting people to church and how to actually get them there. Uh, And so they become very zealous because they're religious. They want to to be a very, very good religious person. In their mind, they want to be a really, really good Christian. And they're just going with what they know and they're being told that they are being a good Christian. But really what they're doing is they're just trying to follow all the rules uh, of religion that they have acknowledged and learned. And accepted and so we put these people in leadership positions and and they serve and and they do a good job but if they're unregenerate uh, and if we as a, if we as churches continue to practice these uh, unbiblical things then we're just making the problems worse and worse and worse and we are intensifying the problems and we are exposing ourselves as rejecting the sovereignty of God, because we are turning aside from his word and doing our own thing, which in uh, just a, in a practical way, what that is doing is saying, um, yes, God, we acknowledge that you're God. We acknowledge that your word is, is God breathed and it's our supreme authority. But Um, we're going to do things our way, which in essence is saying, God, we know better than you and you're not really in charge. We have the freedom to do what we want to do, Uh, which is to say that he's not sovereign. He can't do as he pleases and he doesn't have the authority over us to give us the structure by which we are to abide. That's the problem. That's the issue. And so... I know there's a lot there, and I know I'm barely scratching the surface on these things, but all of these things pertaining to salvation, even the gospel that we preach, because we don't have salvation right, guys, we're, we're preaching and we're teaching and we're promoting a false gospel. The gospel is not, ask Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved. That's a false gospel. The gospel is not, repeat this prayer after me. And you'll be saved because you don't want to go to hell. That's a false gospel. The gospel is not give your life to Jesus, and and from this day forward you start living your life for Jesus. That's literally at, at its at its core. That is works based salvation. You're you are going to give your life to Jesus, and from this day forward you're going to start living for Him. You're going to start doing the things that you need to do to 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 live a life for his you know, for his kingdom. And then because we haven't actually preached the true gospel, that really just becomes works based salvation. It's a false gospel. And then we bring that into the church and we have preachers who are not preaching the word. They're just I guess to be gracious, you know, they, they could be preaching the word to the extent that they're preaching a salvation sermon every Sunday. Uh, but a lot of these pastors aren't really preaching the word they're just trying to preach something that they that they and the crowd will deem as relevant and they're trying to build a rapport and a connection with the crowd so that the crowd will produce the desired response that that pastor and that church wants Um, it's all schemes and strategies and it's, it's wickedness at the end of the day. Um, so we bring that into the church, the preachers strategize and they preach something. In many cases, it's not the word, uh, there's false converts and then it spreads and then it grows from there. And we, and we replicate that. Uh, we, we start to tell our people, invite people to church. Get somebody to come to church with her, with you rather than exhorting them to share the gospel and to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Um, briefly, let me mention, we reject God's sovereignty by what our pastors preach, as I just mentioned. Uh, now, again, to be gracious, uh, if a pastor is preaching a salvation sermon every Sunday, then... Uh, as long as, as so long as it is the actual gospel, then yes, you could say, well, he's being biblical. But again, for the most part, we have a lot of pastors out there that are trying to be relevant, um, trying to be, their whole aim is just to be practical and to give uh, advice, like to to coach people through whatever they're struggling with in life or to coach people through their relationships or to coach people through financial burdens or financial struggles. And pastors aren't called to be life coaches. Uh, Pastors are called to preach the word. Uh, The issue becomes, since we have churches that are structured towards the non-believers, when these preachers, even if they were to briefly Uh, explore what it's like to preach the word, immediately they're going to see a drop in attendance. Uh, The visitors aren't really going to enjoy the services because these visitors do not have a heart that desires the things of God. Now, um, you can see how it would be very, very difficult to have what we refer to as a seeker-sensitive church while also preaching and teaching the word because the word is naturally offensive to the lost people of the world which again you may some people may ask the question well then what is what is church for if we can't bring our lost friends and family members to the church service what is church for ephesians chapter four church is for the saints um the the saints gather to be edified and equipped for the work of the ministry so that we can go out to our lost friends and family members And we share the gospel with them. We share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. We preach Christ and him crucified to the lost and dying sinners of the world. And as they are saved, then they will be brought into the church. Can they visit the church? Of course. Can God be so gracious and so merciful as to uh, cause somebody to be born again in a church service? Absolutely. Amen and amen. But the church service is for the believer, um, and so we've we've got we've got this backwards. And so because we have the seeker sensitive churches, uh, preachers are going to preach what the seekers want to hear. Here's the thing with that: there are no seekers, um, and I, you know, that's just putting it bluntly, and that's not having. You know that's not leaving any wiggle room but at the end of the day the bottom line is there are not na- there are no natural seekers if somebody is truly seeking God then God has already done a work in their heart uh, and hopefully uh, it results in them you know he is in the process of drawing them to, to, to true salvation but Scripture's clear. There's none that seek God. There's none that seek righteousness. There's none that does good. Um, But now people are infatuated with religion. People are infatuated with uh, a higher purpose. Uh, People are infatuated with um, finding a deeper meaning for their lives. And people are infatuated with filling their hearts with a, a hope that leads to satisfaction, a, a sort of self-satisfaction, but they like to feel that desire for hope and self-satisfaction with, um, religion and, and people go into all different types of religions of the world. And sometimes these people fall into Christianity and, and for a season they may use, um, Christianity, um, as their, uh, as their medicine of choice, so to speak, or as their habit of choice to kind of give them that, you know, that self-satisfaction of I'm, um, I'm, I'm here. I have a, a, a greater purpose in my life now, or I have a higher calling in my life, which as as I'm talking, you're probably thinking, well, Caleb, there's some, there is some truth in that. And there is, we, we do all have a, a, a transcendent purpose in life. We're made in the image of God. We are, Made for him, uh, our highest end, our our our, our chief end, um, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But you you can't just say, "Well, I'm going to do that by getting involved in church and getting involved in religion." You must be born again. Um, so people are infatuated with religion, infatuated with this idea of a God. Uh, we'll worship anything, as Calvin said. Our our hearts are our idol factories and sometimes that idol that we worship is christianity now that's not true christianity with sound doctrine and true conversion and um and and right worship of god it's just the world's idea of christianity so we're using the bible as our as our uh our, as our sacred text we're we're using the church house as our Uh, place of worship, but it's still idolatry nonetheless, because we're doing it for uh, self-satisfaction. We're doing it so that we feel as though we've accomplished something, or that we've made it, or that we have made ourselves right with God because we have now become religious. Um, So there's many people who are interested and infatuated with things like that. But if somebody is truly seeking God then he has already done a work in their heart but naturally speaking in our natural state there are no seekers to so basically to say that you're a seeker sensitive church is is really you're just confessing that you're an unbiblical church and you're not abiding by the word you're not being obedient to scripture Uh, you do not acknowledge God's sovereignty and authority over all things because you are literally doing it your own way so, yeah, we, we, we've got to start somewhere. And I do always try, not saying that I always succeed, but I do always try to be as gracious as possible and to leave as much room for debate, debate in a good way, not debate in a pointless, angry, bitter way, but to leave enough room for brotherly, debate and back and forth to really discuss these things but for sake of what we're trying to do here tonight and to really get this conversation started I I feel like it's best to just speak plainly as I have attempted to do tonight at the end of the day um, these are unbiblical things they are rejections of God's sovereignty churches who are involved in these things, especially again, if we're church, and seeker sensitive isn't even a, a term that's actively used nowadays, as certainly not as much as it was a few years back, but that, that heartbeat and that drive is still very prevalent within many modern churches. We need to get the lost people in, and once we get them in, maybe we can get them to stay and you know, again, at the, at the end of the day, a church that has the non-believers as its main goal and its main target um, is, a, is a church that's really, as far as the services go, I'm not talking about evangelism, but a church that has non-believers as its main target in who the service is for, and who the church service is structured around if it's the non-believer and then again that that church is really just admitting we're not biblical we're not interested in doing things the way that God has prescribed in his word we reject his sovereign authority over us and over all of creation Um, churches pastors who promote things like the sinner's prayer and just asking Jesus into your heart and um raising your hand if you want to be saved, and then they follow that up with, because you did that deny, now you're saved. They are confessing. They they may not realize it, but what they're doing is confessing that we're not interested in doing things biblically. We reject God's sovereign authority in all things, and we do not believe that God is sovereign over salvation, so therefore we have to do things our own way. We have to come up with our own methods and ways of saving people. Um and you can take a lot of a lot of the false doctrines. Just to give a, a, a brief list here, um, I wrote down a few a few things. You know, the idea that ultimately, ultimately, it's man's free will that decides things, and that's not just in salvation. There's people who believe that uh, man's free will is the driving force behind what happens on a global scale. Um, it's just it's unbiblical um god does as he pleases with the inhabitants of the earth and in heaven god works all things according to the counsel of his own will with whom does he take counsel uh, who who taught him who trained him no one um so you know, our god is in the heavens he he does whatever he pleases uh, scripture's clear um you know i wrote down the sinner's prayer and giving your heart to jesus but um you know there's to to go to some extremes you know the whole seven mountain mandate stuff if you're not familiar with that um really at the end of the day that's good uh that your mind hasn't been polluted with that but if you are familiar with it you know it's just it really is way out there in left field um I want to use the word insanity, but it's, you know, I I do understand that there are people who are just genuinely confused. um, And they, they just may have gotten bogged down in that, but the whole seven mountain mandate and the courtrooms of heaven, you know, we can, we can, uh, we can cause movements to happen and we can cause things to happen in the courtrooms of heaven. When we, when we pray, I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no biblical grounds for, for that and then just so many I wrote down the word mysticism and this is where I can't this is not the episode to get direct and to use um specific examples that would would we're already at an hour here 55 minutes and but mysticism and and that can simply be summed up in things practices that we have that we use we we'll, we'll use a little bit of biblical jargon We'll used we'll use the name of God and we'll use the name of Jesus and we'll use the spirit um, but then in 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 practice really all we're doing is like talking to the wind you know uh, it's just it's just a bunch of religious rhetoric that is not grounded and rooted um, in the word um, you know things like well I i I heard God speaking to me today while I was watching the sunset, and uh, you know He just gave me this message of of peace and uh you know i I just knew it was God because of that feeling that i had i I felt this warm um just just heavenly feeling I felt this presence around me um and it was as I was watching the sunset, I just know god was was speaking to me. And if I were to say that to somebody today within the church, many people they wouldn't bat an eye. They would just say, "Oh, Caleb, that's awesome. I'm glad God spoke to you through the sunset today." but the thing is i didn't I, I didn't say anything just then, guys. I said God spoke to me through a sunset, but then what you know I, he just it was a message of peace and I just I had this warm feeling and I could feel his presence and I just knew that it was him. I haven't said anything. I've, I've, I've said things that sound significant, but there's nothing of any substance. Um, it was very vague, um, and it was mystical. Um, it was stuff that just sounds good. It makes you feel like there's something greater, something of, 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 of weighty significance going on, but really nothing was said. Furthermore, um, We know as believers, as biblical believers, that God has spoken to us through his son. Um, God has spoken to us through his word. We don't need to go outside and look at the sunset in order to receive some message from God. If we were to open up his word, we can read great messages of peace and receive great teaching and great instruction uh, on peace and on contentment from his word now the heavens declare the glory of god we know that there are you know we would say that creation uh, declares proclaims his handiwork and his glory and his majesty but when it comes to hearing from god you just you read the word um to give another example there was a pastor uh watched one of his sermons not long ago and he said you know when we when we, when we clap, we're, we're creating an atmosphere that God loves to dwell in. Um, there is no substance whatsoever to that statement. When we clap, we're creating an atmosphere that God loves to dwell in. Um, that's just so far removed from any sound biblical doctrine and biblical teaching that it ought to be laughable but it's tragic because stuff like that gets said and you'll hear amen and oh, or wow, like it was profound. It's not profound, it's mysticism. It's just, it's empty. Um, it's, it's stuff that we've made up in our own minds and we've connected it with God. Therefore, we've, uh, we've, we've made a God of our own making. It's an idol. Uh, so mysticism is something that is just incredibly, um, incredibly, incredibly prevalent and present in the church today and all of this stands to prove that we do not accept the sovereignty of god we don't accept that he is sovereign over salvation and i that again that was the most specific point of this entire uh, installment but we don't accept his sovereignty in salvation but we don't we don't accept his sovereignty uh, even over his own over his own church we refuse to submit to the authority of his word Uh, we demand to do things our own way and when we are called out for doing things our own way we uh we we kick back against that and we double down on it and we defend it. Uh, and we become, we show ourselves to be a very stiff necked people. We, we like our way of doing things. We think our way of doing things is, is the best way of doing things. And we refuse to repent. Um, which there again, just doubles down on the fact that we, we do not accept that he is sovereign and that he has set the standard that he has set things in uh, in place, and that he has set in order the way that we are to worship, the way that his church is to be structured, uh, the way that his church is to operate, and we do not trust his uh, method of salvation, his his um, his work of salvation. We don't. It's as if we don't trust that he will remember to draw all of his people to the Son. And that he he might not Jesus might not might not remember all of the sheep that he needs to bring in. Therefore, you know we need to make it easier for people to come to Christ, or we need to make it uh, more fun for people to come to Christ. And it's it's foolishness, um, it's folly, it's sin, um, and a lot of the doctrines, false doctrines, a lot of the bad church practices that we have that are prevalent today really can be connected to the fact that we rebel against God's sovereignty. Now, with that being said, and to kind of set the stage for later on, I will acknowledge that clearly, in many cases, there's probably just a a lack of understanding or a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty because the Word of God hasn't been being preached from our pulpits. Also, um, many people will just replicate and repeat what they were taught growing up, how they grew up in church, and they just continue to go through the motions. Um, and that as well should be grouped into lack of understanding or just or just um, a misunderstanding. And then the last thing would be that we certainly need to leave room for the fact that there are there are true believers, true Christians that simply get caught up in false doctrine or they, they get confused and they get led astray for a season. And they may be caught up in these things right now, but God is going to be faithful to them and he is going to continue to be gracious to them and he will lead them out of these things. Um, and certainly uh, there are many people and even and even those that are preaching and teaching from the pulpit that they are not intentionally trying to cause harm to the body of Christ and they are not intentionally willfully seeking to lead people astray but the only thing that's going to open up their eyes and cause them to see that they are causing harm to the body of Christ and that they are leading people astray is if we do begin to preach and teach the truth and to do so consistently, lovingly, graciously, uh, with compassion, but also with zeal and a commitment to the truth, with a boldness for the truth. And so that's our aim here. Um, Again, I know that we covered a lot. Um, I hope that it was cohesive. Uh, I hope that everything is interconnected. because there was a few different things that, that got brought up. But like I said, it's we got to start somewhere. I almost didn't record this one tonight um, because it, like I said, it's been a few months since we did uh, episode of Reformation South and there's been a lot going on. There's a lot of things I want to cover. Um, and it was almost like, there's just so much that I wanted to cover. It's like, where do you begin? Which hence, again, we've got to start somewhere. So there might be a couple or three episodes that are just like shotgun blast of different information uh, I believe I've gone back and, and deleted all of the old episodes of Reformation South. So in essence, it's kind of like we're starting from scratch again. I think this might be the third or fourth time that we're starting from scratch. But um, as I said, we're we're in our new place now. We're getting settled in Glenville, uh, and my aim, please pray for this. My aim, my goal is to uh, at least twice a month um, get on here, be able to record and and, and upload, and um, so be praying. Uh, not, not just Reformation South. Just be praying that God would use His Word in our community. Uh, be praying that God would use His Word in in your communities. That God would continue to uh, to to magnify His own name, and that He would continue to save and continue to sanctify all for uh, His own namesake and His own glory. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please, even especially if you disagree or you have strong emotions about what was said, um, please take time just to, uh, to meditate on this, on these things, to meditate on God's sovereignty and, and, and ask yourself, regardless of how you feel about it, really ask yourself, number one, do I understand the sovereignty of God? Number two, um, do, I, do I submit to the sovereignty of God in all aspects of my life? And then number three, as a church, whatever church you're involved in, if you're a leader in the church, say, does does our church, are we living, are we operating, are we serving under, in submission to the sovereignty of God, his sovereignty in all things, his sovereignty in salvation, his sovereignty in the way that the church is structured and how we are to operate, are we submitted to uh, the sovereignty of God, please Carefully consider these things. Thank you guys so much for listening. Love you, and we will catch you on the next installment of Reformation South.